Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we are listening to Willie Barry sing his song, Yes We Can, from a CD that he produced, gosh, a long time ago. I think he was about 15 years old. Many of you know Willie as the lead singer and front man to Willie Barry and the Chaperones. Others know him as Willie Barry and the Rockasonics. And then a lot of other people just know him from the days when he did the open mic at the Frederick Coffee Company or the now-defunct Frederick Sellers Thursday Night Songwriter Series, which was kind of an open mic. And I am so tickled today to have Mr. Willie Barry on the phone. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Hey, Todd. How are you today? I am well, Willie. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good myself. Now, that song, Yes, We Can, and then that CD, how long ago did you record that? Oh, gosh, that was a long time ago. Probably, I'm trying to remember if that came out before I graduated from high school or not. I think it did um, probably around senior year, maybe. I'll have to look at the CD. I have one copy around here somewhere, but it's sure been a long time, that's for sure. Now, you recorded that locally where? Um, I recorded that in Eldersburg at a friend's house. Um, who had just a small setup. Uh, he he, um, he recorded a couple, He recorded the whole album in his, in his uh, basement. He had some uh, speaker equipment and things like that. And I believe on a, some of those songs, he actually uh, overdubbed some of his own playing into those as well. Um, I don't know if I can't remember if his playing is on that song too. As he might have taken a solo, but it was recorded at his house in Eldersburg. Now, did you? Which guitar did you use? What which guitar? Because I, I remember you playing a Yamaha for a long time. Yeah, I still have that Yamaha actually, um, but I don't know. I probably did play that one because I didn't probably have a lot of options back then. Um, I'm gonna say that was the one that I played, um, and uh, and yes, that was probably that would probably be correct. It sounds incredibly large on the, that recording. I don't know. It how was a good sound. Yeah. It was a good sounding guitar. I mean, it's and I, I always tell people if they're looking for a learner guitar that that Yamaha series really does make a good product. And I mean, I, as I recall, it was only about a hundred bucks when I when I picked it up as a starter guitar. Now, so do, you, you know, do you remember how he or both of you mic'd the guitar? Was it just one mic sitting at the sound hole, or where? Mm, gosh, I don't. I I don't want to give any wrong information. I'm not sure where it was i i think we only use one mic i can't remember he, he might have actually gone direct into the board but um it's been so long i don't really remember a lot of the details now did you play guitar and sing at the same time or did you record the guitar and then sing as a no it was all done live it sounds great to me i mean you well, have thanks. your vo- voice has matured for sure because you're older now how old are you now I'm 25 now. You're 25. So you've been doing this for more than a decade. 
Yeah, I, I was looking through some old um, shots the other day of us on Market Street, and I guess that began somewhere around 2010. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and I was playing before Market Street, so it's, it's, it's right. It's been about, about a little more than a decade. Well, do you remember back to the first time you either purchased or you were given a guitar and you started to learn? How old were you? Well, let's see. I was in high school at that time, so probably I was, oh gosh, I was probably 14 or 15 maybe? Uh, yeah, that sounds right, 13, 14. Now, was it that uh, Yamaha guitar or was it a different one? That was my first one, yes, the yeah, Yamaha. Yeah. Now, now, had you had interest in playing guitar and singing prior to that or was it just an epiphany one day? It, it kind of was an epiphany. I hadn't uh, certainly, you know, made up any decision that I had wanted to do it uh, before that. Uh, and and been, had, it's not like I had been wanting to do it. Um, you know, I, I recall, um, being at the, the music store where we got it from the music and arts when it used to be on route 40, um, on the golden mile. And, uh, I mean, it, it kind of just, it was one of those situations like, you know, do you want to, uh, take lessons? And I said, sure, why not? Let's see. And, and from there, you know, I remember a brief moment where I, you know, first learning the guitar, having not played any other instrument before, there's that small point of time where you can get frustrated because it's not going the way you want and it's maybe not working out, but, you know, and, and you feel like you might not want to continue. But at the push of my parents, I, I was able to, you know, get, get past that and, and, uh, and learn. So it's it, not, not, nothing like, you know, uh, kind of boring, I guess, but it's nothing really that uh, pu pushed me to do it before, um, you know, that initial, yes, I'll, I'll take the lesson. Well, it, you know, from my standpoint, because I so enjoy seeing you, hearing you perform, I also just enjoy chatting with you, but I'm so glad your parents said, Willie, stick with it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Me too. Now, what was your first do you recall the first song you could play on the guitar in its entirety? Well, it was most likely a Bob Dylan song, probably. Um, That's a surprise. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a huge surprise. Um, but if I had to guess, uh, two songs come to mind. It would have been either. Well, no, because I, I miss. I'm, I'm thinking of Mr. Tambourine Man, but that was even. Uh, that requires different tuning. So I couldn't have been that far by then. You know, it's, it's tough to say it pro probably was a simple Dylan song, like blowing in the wind. I think, I think that uh, is probably one of the first songs that I learned in its entirety, um, how to play. Cause it's such a simple song musically to, to do. Um, so what, how did you decide or what interested you in Bob Dylan songs? Well, my uh, my dad had a copy of the essential Bob Dylan that I remember was the first CD that I or any mention of Bob Dylan that I had uh, become aware of. Um, and I recall we were going to Ocean City during the summertime and he had a, he had that CD in, in the truck and, and put it on. And, and there were a couple songs, you know, it starts out with, you know, blowing in the wind and things like that. But when you get to like subterranean homesick blues that stuff, you know, it just kind of jumped out at me and I thought, wow, this is cool. You know, I got to hear more of this. Um, and with, you know, the resources we have nowadays, YouTube and whatnot, it was quite easy to find, 
you know, other uh, songs by him and, and uh, learn more of his repertoire. Now, did you learn, well, you said you took lessons. Mm-hmm. How long did you take guitar lessons? I was probably taking lessons by for maybe three or four years, but during the late end of that uh, period, I was not doing a lot of learning. Uh, really, I would uh, my my lessons would mostly consist of us going in, and I would show him certain songs that I had learned, and and just playing them for him. Um, so there wasn't a lot of new learning going on. I didn't really learn to play any kind of lead work or, or things like that until I stopped doing lessons and, and picked up on the, the rockabilly stuff. Um, but uh, well, you. At one point in time, I don't recall if you told me this, but I think your dad may have told me this, or maybe your mom, I don't recall, that you knew at one time about 88 Bob Dylan songs. Is that correct? That's that's probably very likely even probably more. Um, You know, I was doing nothing but Bob Dylan at at one point, so I had to fill, you know, at least an hour or two worth of material. And some some Dylan songs easier to do that with, given the the runtime, but... Um, you know, I had a lot of them memorized and a lot down um, to cover a you know, decent majority of time. So how long would it take you to memorize, say, a Bob Dylan song? Because many of his songs are quite involved. Right. It would depend, really. Uh, some songs flow easier. And, and the way I kind of learn songs is by listening to them over and over again and, and trying to sing along with them after the first time and, you know, and, and it comes out as uh, not like script, but it's it's almost like you can recite it once the whole way through. But don't ask me to do it again and again and again right right after each other, because it'll mess up. the For some reason, it messes up the flow. And, and I have that problem today with with certain songs that, you know, I'll get through the first time. Perfect. And then if I had to do it again because we're recording or, or whatever, you know, as we get farther into it, you might screw it up. So. I think, uh, you know, it's it's easier for me to learn it as a whole and then just kind of recite it. And as long as the music flows, then it, it's pretty easy. Uh, so, uh, you know, learning a, a song like Blown in the Wind is fairly easy because it, it flows nicely and it's easy to, to get the words out. And I guess it, it just came naturally, but maybe a longer song like um, Desolation Row or something like that um, could take – uh, gosh, I don't know, a couple of days to, to get down. Just a couple of days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it would depend on how many times I listened to it over and over again. If I was, you know, and, and back then when I didn't have a lot of knowledge of other material, uh, that's all I had to listen to. So I was, you know, listening to those songs over and over again, uh, it, you know, before I, I burned out on them and I had to find something else. So it, it, the more you listen, the more you're likely to pick it up. And I think that was the, my case. Well, the thing that struck me the first time I saw you perform for any length of time, and I think it was at Beans in the Belfry, because I, before that I'd seen you at the Frederick Coffee Company at the now defunct Frederick Sellers Wine Bistro on uh, North Market, and right. you do two or three songs. I think it was Beans in the Belfry where I actually heard you perform for an hour or two and what struck me was you didn't seem to falter in the lyrics at all. And as I've mentioned to people before, I don't think Bob Dylan, at the height of his fame, or when he was the best he was, he ever was, could remember the lyrics to say 88 of his own songs. And yet you could do that. 
Right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's 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 a question I I want to know for sure because I mean you see them live, at, you know, it's like the Newport Folk Festival or whichever, and and you got to figure he's doing at least forty five minutes to an hour worth of material, and you know this I I don't know if I have any uh, videos of those, but you know he, he's doing he's doing all the songs that that you know are long like Mom It's Only Bleeding and uh, I'm not sure I got that title right, but he's doing all these long songs, so I have to think that his memory was pretty good. Um, and picking up that stuff, but who knows? Now, of all the Bob Dylan, and we'll go on to different music here in a moment, but I'm just intrigued by uh, some things. What sure. are the top two or three Bob Dylan songs that you enjoyed playing the most? Back then, it was probably the ones with the with the different tunings. Um, I really like his tuning on. Um, uh, it's all over now, baby blue, which uh, and I'm not music, I'm not really uh, that well versed in the tech in the technical words, but it would basically insist of putting your capo on the second fret and playing a C chord formation, and you would tune the E string, the the low E, down to that first note, and to make it sound the same, and it, it was it was a cool uh, sound to get on that song because I used to hear him do it. Um, solo acoustic when he was doing those uh i think it was at the newport folk festival but it, it sounded different and i had to figure out what that tuning was so I, I just kind of figured it out by ear so i don't really know what it's technically called but it uh, it's it's a cool sound and he does the same thing with tambourine man where he's in drop d tuning and so you have to play the four chord of the g a little bit differently um but those those ones with the different tuning are, are really interesting to me now, when you're on stage and you're performing, whether it was back then or now, and you have to tune, because you don't change guitars, you don't have a guitar tech walking out and handing you another guitar tuned a different way, Right? is it difficult for you to tune on stage and then tune back? Not really. Uh, drop D is is very easy because you have the D to go by, and, and, and most of it is pretty fairly straightforward uh, for me. Um, I'm... I'm might not be as good tuning as I used to be because I, I do use tuners a lot more now, but um, the stuff I, I'm doing now doesn't require a lot of different tuning. Um, but, um, you know, back back then when you're tuning from drop D, you go down to the D and then back up. It didn't seem that hard to me to, to hear the other E and, and tune the, the low E back up to where it was supposed to be. Um, you know, so I was kind of looking in that way. But And, and also the guitars I use, you know, were, were, were fairly good at staying in tune, so didn't have a lot of problem with that either. Now, when did you decide, how long into your guitar playing and performing, did you decide that this might be something you'd like to spend a lot of time doing? And I don't mean like career-wise, but um, not just a hobby, but closer to a career. Right. Well, I think it, it, would, it goes back to those days when we were doing the open mics and, and, and like the Haiti benefit that we were both a part of was, was uh, certainly a, a big help with having me out more. And well, I, there was uh, one show that I forget. Uh, you were running sound, but it was a long time ago. It was outside. And I don't know if it was for Haiti or not, but I'm trying to. Was it for you, Habitat for Humanity when they opened their restore? I, I know about that one. I, it, it's not that one. It, it was under a, a big tree and we were uh, setting up oh, and playing. It might have been a new market. 
that might that might be it. Yeah, they used to have uh, a New Market Days weekend. Mm-hmm. I think that was it. Yeah. So so what happened? Things like that. Yeah. So what happened at that that moment? Was it like, oh, I really like to do this. Maybe I could do this and make money. Or what was the thought process? Well, it was it was fun. I mean, making money is nice, but it's it's kind of like uh, what Barry always says. It's more doing it just for the fun of it. And it's, you know, you enjoy it while you're doing it. And it's, you know, it, it comes fairly easy, which helps, but it, it's more so the fun of, of doing it. And, um, so, I mean, you know, that, that, uh, certainly was a big contributor in having me do that more. Um, and then, you know, uh, like I remember playing at Frederick coffee company the first couple of times and, and doing well and, and people seemed to respond to it positively. So, you know, it was just something that, uh, to, so I wasn't at home all the time and, and, uh, kind of, and get me out there and, and, uh, get, get a little bit educated on, you know, what things are like out there. So it was, it was certainly helped in that regard. Um, but you know, it, it, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, uh, this, uh, decision that you want to do and it's, it's fun and you meet lots of new people and things like that. So, you know, why not? Well, you mentioned, the name Barry. For those people listening who don't know who you're referring to, who are you referring to? So that would be Barry Bryan. He was, uh, he, or currently is the bass player in Willie and his chaperones. Um, but he's been probably with me the longest in the band. Um, Tommy was, has been there, you know, Tommy Wright, uh, Tommy 1M. Um, Tommy has been with us a, certainly almost as long as Barry, if not the same, but, uh, he wasn't always a part of the band. He was, you know, running the open mic. So I would see him there. Um, but, uh, Barry was probably with me the longest as far as actually gig work. Um, well, go, going back to the Bob Dylan time, mm-hmm. when you started to transition out of doing Bob Dylan songs, who were some of the artists you started to, to perform? Some uh, mostly artists that I had known already uh, that I you know had liked but had never really gotten a chance to play, um, things like Johnny Cash and Hank Williams. Um, those were two of the main ones that I had known, you know, and because of course uh, Johnny contributed with with uh, Bob, on, you know, on some records, and, and so I had uh, become more familiar with some of Johnny's later material. Um, but uh, those were those were the two that come to mind right now that I primarily started to play more of after the Dylan phase was kind of coming to an end. Well, one of the songs that you you did play in that transition, and when I say transition, I mean from the Bob Dylan days to the Rockabilly days, right. because there were two or three years in there where it got kind of mixed in. There were still some Bob Dylan stuff. Was was the song in a little while from now? Mm-hmm. In a little while from now. Yeah, alone again naturally. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep, Gilbert, Gilbert O'Sullivan. You did that so well. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. And man, let me tell you, that song is so hard. It was so hard to fig- find out the chords because no one, no one had them online. I, I found one guy who who made a video covering that song, and that's where I got the chords from. But if he hadn't made that video, I probably would have never figured out how to play that song. And I, I, it might not even be the right chords because he liked to use. You know, different. He he, he like to use tons of chords and re- arrange them in, in complicated ways. So it, it was, you know, a miracle that I even learned to play that song. But uh, I I do have a lot of fun playing it. I still even play it sometimes to this day because it's such a fun song to do. Well, if you see me in the audience, 
and you can fit it in if it doesn't mess up the set list play that song for me because i i love the song and i i love the way you perform it and me too i certainly enjoy enjoyed doing it and and uh and and actually todd if you learn the chords i'll play the solo <laughs> okay. Well, one of the reasons Gilbert O'Sullivan's songs are difficult to play on guitar is he's primarily a piano player. Right. Very true. And the I did, if you're interested, and you may have seen this, I Googled him one time for a documentary, and there was a documentary that was done, gosh, probably, I want to say six or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his career, and his wife was chatting about it, and his kids were chatting about it. But they interviewed, because he did record an album in Nashville, I don't know how long ago, not that long ago, and they were interviewing the engineer and a few people from the studio, and they said that it was so different because he comes in fully prepared, more so than other artists, and his request that they had to tune the, the piano a semitone down, or half a semitone, uh-huh. which you rarely get people they usually just change the, you know, the, the fingerings and his, because of his vocal range, which is not huge, that's what he would do. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah. um, Yeah. So how did you get interested in rockabilly? Well, that kind of, uh, also came out from after the, the Bob Dylan era started to kind of conclude, um, you know, I was already familiar with Johnny Cash and Hank Williams earlier, and, and those tie into, um, you know, certainly the early days of when Rockabilly was big and, and Johnny Cash being on Sun Records. Um, and uh, I remember there, on, I had a, a, got a DVD of the best of the Johnny Cash show um, some years ago, and that had, you know, several artists that I, some I already, already knew and some I didn't. Like uh, I'd seen Creedence Clearwater Revival on there, who I was a fan of before. Um, but I saw this guy playing the piano like an absolute wild man. Uh, that that fellow's name was Mr. Jerry Lee Lewis. And, uh, and once I saw that, I mean, it just blew me away. His stage presence, the, the song, the rhythm, I mean, it was just so over the top and you know when he would stand up and kick the piano stool back and play standing up it was i had never seen anything like that before and i just after i saw that i had to know more of this guy um so i looked him up and you know of course he had a lot of material um and you know that led to sun records and uh kind of figuring out more of the artists that uh, belonged to that label um, back then who recorded like Carl Perkins and, and of course him and Jerry and Johnny Cash and um, Elvis all did the uh, Million Dollar Quartet, which is pretty popular today. Um, you know, once you get to there, it kind of opens up the the world of rockabilly and and, uh, and you can find a lot of different artists that, uh, you know, might not have been rockabilly, but had a hand in it at one time or influenced it or you know, was influenced by it. So it, it opens up to a whole bigger world that's just, you know, waiting to be explored. And it's, and it's a lot of great stuff out there. So again, you know, with the power of online and things like that, it was easy to to look up more artists associated with that genre of music. Um, so. Now, who is your favorite rockabilly artist of all time? It fluctuates uh, from time to time. Um if I had to say right now, oh gosh, let's see, who would be my favorite? 
let, hold on, Todd. Let me grab my uh, iPod because it's it'd be easier to tell you. So probably Carl Perkins is is one of my big favorites. He's you know known as the king of rockabilly, and he wrote Blue Suede Shoes that Elvis had a hit with. Um, and uh, you know this, and and what I've been doing lately is kind of finding uh, artists that are around today that are covering the music as well um you know that that are from europe and things like that but um you know carl perkins is a big favorite of mine from the original 50s um let me see here who else is really good that i enjoy um because i've been listening to a lot more country recently i kind of it's like i said it fluctuates from time to time but um i was i did go through a big stage where i was a big elvis fan um you know of course he did rockabilly and so much more um yeah elvis pretty much would cover every genre if he liked uh-huh. the song he recorded it yep yep that's true um and george jones way back when he was uh now he, he didn't do it willingly but he recorded some really great rockabilly numbers in the late 50s um when so you I, when you say he didn't do it willingly well he was a country guy so you know when rockabilly came around a lot of the the country artists they they didn't hate it i i don't think i mean some might have but they didn't particularly want to do it on their own you know the record labels were pushing because that was hot at the time you know you got to record a track like this and 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 a lot of country artists did a rockabilly song or two whether you know they wanted to or not because it was what the labels were pushing for at the time um you know a great okay no is buck owens in there anywhere He's kind of that he L.A. rockabilly country sort of. Yeah, he he started out early, he did some uh, early rockabilly tracks, but and and Buck was probably one of the ones that um, was against rockabilly the most. Really? And when he when he made uh, his rockabilly records in the early or I guess late fifties, early sixties, he didn't even the labels didn't even come out under the same name. The the records. Um, I think it was Corky Jones or some 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 name that came out on the the album. So he didn't um, want his Buck Owens name to be associated with it, basically. Right, exactly. So it's and there was a song. There's a song called Hot Dog that he recorded, which is rockabilly um, or rockabilly influenced. That I think that's the name that that came out on the the actual uh, record was Corky Jones. Um, so yeah, he was he was probably one of the ones that you know didn't want his name associated with that at all. Well, you do one or two of his songs, I think, don't you? I'm trying to recall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I do. Um, more of his country stuff. Um, and, and, you know, he was a big uh, contributor to the Bakersfield country sound in the 60s. Um, but, yeah, we do some of his songs, you know, his, some of his hits, Act Naturally and um, Tiger by the Tail every once in a while. Now, um, does, does Dwight Yoakam, because he's out of that L.A. area, mm-hmm. a little bit younger than Buck Owens, but does, uh, ever do any of his stuff? I don't do much of his, although I I love his stuff, you know, guitars, Cadillacs, and uh, hillbilly music. That's always and he was he was uh, one of those '90s country artists that uh, really, I guess what I think the term for it is neo traditional country music, um, was just kind of in that vein of of '90s artists that knew of the old country and they liked to keep it, you know, as as far as they could get with the labels, um, you know. But still, while keeping it modern, but but having been influenced by like Bob Wills and and all that uh, '50s country music, '50s and '40s. Um, but you know, he fall, Dwight to me kind of falls in the same vein as artists like Alan Jackson 
and Clint Black and Mark Chestnut, all these guys who knew what real country music was, and they still wanted to incorporate elements of that in their modern day records back when it came out. Um, so, you know, those artists I, I do like a lot. So you're basically a student of the country slash rockabilly genre of music, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm right now. I'm listening to a lot more country, but I like all types: country music, uh, you know, rockabilly, swing, jazz, um, r- rhythm and blues, and and real rhythm and blues. I mean, which is uh, originally meant to be a rhythm background, like um, uh, jazz and blues lyrics. So that's why that's a song like "Shake, Rattle, and Roll," where they have a jazz backup. But blues lyrics—that's where the term R&B really comes from. Uh, so I, I like, you know, rhythm and blues from the '50s and '60s, jump blues, and swing. Like I said before, there's there's a lot of, of genres in that era, '40s through maybe the '60s, um, that are, are really diverse and I really do enjoy. But but yeah, I would say after that time period, it would be the '90s country singers like that who I really enjoy. Now, when did you make the decision? to go from doing solo stuff to having performing with players around you? So, I mean, that transition kind of, it happened gradually. I mean, Barry uh, had, Barry Bryan was the first one to kind of suggest playing behind me with on, on the bass. Um, So we would do duo things around Frederick. Um, You know, uh, what was the uh, arts place uh, gallery in Frederick? Um, you know what I'm talking about. Rick Hill used to play there. Uh, oh gosh, I'm drawing a complete blank. Yeah, me too. Um, so we would, but we, anyway, we would do those. Um, and, and I think, I can't remember if, if we would just do the duo things on market street where we normally play. Um, but as time went on, me and Barry did the duo thing for a while. And then we would have Tommy occasionally, um, on percussion, um, so it, it kind of gradually came about and we just added more. We had uh, Todd Coyle at, some, at one point for a while um, on lead guitar and, and things like that. And then so, I mean, it wasn't really a decision, I think, you know, cut and dry. Like this is when I started this. It, it kind of over over the course of the timeline, it, it kind of just gradually filtered in different players um, until I you know, got associated with actually four main uh, musicians that play with me. Now, who came up with the name Willie Barry and the Chaperones? You know, that's a good question. I think it was either me or my father. I'm I'm not sure. Um, I know we were looking at a bunch of titles at the time, um, but it was probably one of those two. Um, but uh, well, what were some of the other uh, names that you considered before you chose Chaperones? Oh gosh, uh, that I, I couldn't tell you. I don't really remember a lot about that uh, process since it was so long ago. Um, now, was it like sitting around having a pizza and your dad and you and your maybe your mom or just you and your dad throwing different names out? How does that sound? Well, that doesn't work. Does this one work? Was no, that how I mean, it we went? Were, we were we were looking up different names and people were coming up with different things and kind of sending them all through email and you know what about this and how does this sound and. Um, cause we weren't always, you know, in the same room when we were doing, coming up with band names. Um, but, uh, I, I remember a couple, um, you know, I, I can see it in my, my head, but I can't see the other names of, uh, possible names we were looking at, but 
I remember we were emailing back and forth about it and saying, you know, well, this, this, this name, uh, William Chaperone seems to work and, and, uh, that sounds good. So, and I, and it fit at the time because I was, you know, still under 18. So I would need, uh, supervision in places that might not, uh, I've been able to go in otherwise. Well, for people who might be listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts who are not from the Frederick, Maryland area, and, and they really don't know you personally or know your music, um, why, when you say you are underage, what, why the chaperones? What's the, the age makeup of the, back, the backup band? So they're all primarily, I, would, I don't think there's one that's uh, younger than 50, Um probably in their mid 60s early 60s at the at the time maybe they would have been a little younger but no one in, no one in the band besides me was was uh younger than 50 years old so uh you know go and 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 i was playing too at the time when i i couldn't i didn't have a license um so if not my parents give me a ride one of the uh bandmates would would pick me up and and take me to the, the show, especially if we were doing, uh, you know, four, four person band shows. So, um, that's well, how kind of how early it's been. Well, it made for a nice contrast visually. Yeah, that's true. And you started off when you busking, I, I call it busking on the street, but it, mm. busking is just kind of hanging out people walking by and maybe throwing some coins in, but yours was always more of a performance and it started on first Saturdays initially, I think, but then very rapidly switched. And, and what was the mindset to switching? Because I don't think you play for Saturdays any longer, do you? Um, not in a while. I, I, I think uh, they've, the person who books those has, has changed back from when I used to do it. Um, so I might not have that same contact anymore. But um, we, with the chaperones anyway, they like to play a lot during the summertime on the street. Um, and that's, you know, first Saturdays are good because there, there are a lot of people. But, I mean, fr- Friday night or Saturday night, down, downtown Frederick is still usually pretty busy, um, even if it's not an event. Um, so we, we kind of uh, like the idea of, of having a, a place where we could play um, and not necessarily be under a contract, you know, and just have fun with it. So there's there's less, you know. Uh, no one's telling you what time you have to go there, so we can kind of set our own hours, and you know that was that was nice. But you know, I I do uh, miss playing first Saturday every now and then, but I haven't done one in a while, so it uh, might be fun to do one again. But well, doing uh, it on a Saturday that's not first Saturday does mean that you're not competing with someone a block away or two blocks away. Right. Yeah. I mean, there there are there's always going to be places that have live music, but. I mean, playing on the street for us has been nice because, you know, number one, there's um, tons of people within, within, you know, three or four hours will pass by and uh, with the potential to see you. So that was always a big draw. And, and you have fun. And, and, and when the weather's nice, it's real, real cool. And um, so it's, it was a fun thing to do. And I, I think it was your dad, but I could be wrong to put that sign in the guitar case that sat out front that said something about, you know, please support me, my college fund or something. Right. Yeah. That, that probably helped a couple uh, books that I had had in school, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, those books are expensive. They are. Now you also, besides, you call it Willie and the chaperones. I still call it Willie Barry and the chaperones only because I, I know you as Willie Barry. 
But wow. you also play with the Rockasonics. Mm-hmm. Now, how did yep. that come about? So the Rockasonics uh, came to fruition actually um, a year or two prior. We had the, the Chaperones had done a show in um, in Brunswick um, for I think it was their Railroad Days event, um, and we were on the same bill with a band called Ruthie and the Wranglers, um, who is a, a DC-based band that's been around a long time. Um, and we were on the same bill. And from what I'm told, uh, after that show, you know, that, that we, we had both enjoyed each other's sound. And But when Ruthie and them had gone back to D.C., they had, um, in the circle of music that they were in, had alerted um, a, a woman named Caroline um, who puts on, or runs a, um, uh, a dance at an American Legion in College Park. Um, and she also helps with putting on a Buddy Holly tribute that happens in uh, Bethesda, most often in Bethesda, um, every year. So they had uh, Ruthie had mentioned to Caroline about our band um, and said that you know she might be interested in reaching out to me to see if I could play the Buddy Holly show because they like to incorporate new artists um, and get a couple different faces in there each year. Um, so Ruthie had suggested to her that they reach out. And from what I'm told, uh, Caroline had reached out to my dad, um, but I was something I was had some kind of scheduling conflict that 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 year, um, so I wasn't able to do it. But then the following year, uh, Louis Newmeyer, who was who's my bass player in the Rockasonics, he had reached out to me on Facebook um, uh, when the next year was was coming around, and Buddy Holly show was about to start up again. Um, he had reached out to me to ask if I would be interested in doing it that year. Um, and you know, they, he said that they could get him and along with him and a couple other folks that would back me up, um, for authentic backing. And so, you know, I thought that was kind of, that would be cool to do. And, and, and I had never really listened to a lot of Buddy Holly, um, at the time. So I wasn't as familiar with his uh, material, but uh, he sent me a couple songs that they had still had open on the slot because they like to you know, have a, a number of songs that they want to see covered. Um, so I picked those songs and we had got we all had all gotten together to rehearse. Uh, I think two times before the um, actual show, but we rehearsed and it went great and we had a lot of fun and and uh, our practices would kind of consist of getting the songs done. But then after that, we would kind of just be messing around with with different songs and and start one up and everybody would join in and, and it, it was so fun. We just, uh, we just had to keep going. So it, it uh, didn't really stop after the Buddy Holly show. And that's kind of when we decided to, to make a, a band out of it um, with the same four players that, that had backed me up on the original. So, and then we added a piano player, of course. Now, now who came up with the name Rockasonics? That was, uh, it was another effort, uh, uh, collaborative effort, I believe. We, uh, as I recall, we were all in the same place, or at least three of us were. Um, but there was actually a band back, back in the 50s that had like one record. No one, no one had ever heard of them. They were never a hit or anything called the Rockasonics. Um, and they had, you know, maybe, I, I don't even think they had, I, I can't even find a second song by them, but. Um, so they were very unknown and, and no one had ever heard of. And, and so we thought, you know, they, they, they've been, uh, they had their chance back in the fifties and they didn't make anything of it. So why not use that name? Um, so we uh, had taken that over and, and that's done pretty well. I mean, it's, it's some, sometimes people have a, a hard time remembering uh, the, the name and it's certainly been called by its uh, uh, fair share of 
wrong titles, but uh, <laughs> it. Uh, as long it, as they still come out to see you, who cares what they think the name is? Really, right? Exactly. But we did have. I, I do remember some other considerations for that band um, before we arrived at settling on the Rocket Sonics. Um, we had uh, at one point we actually did a show under the under the name Willie and the Four Four High Notes. Um, so uh, you know there were a couple uh, options that we were considering, but eventually we settled on the Rocket Sonics. Now with the Rocket Sonics. You played Las Vegas, I think, haven't mm-hmm. you? Yep, yep, twice. Now, both times with the band, or? Uh-huh, yep, both times with the band. Um, it was probably a couple of years after we'd been playing for a while. We had tried, you know, several times, but uh, being so new, um, we weren't at, at quite as well known um, in, in the rockabilly community. So it had taken a couple of times to uh, actually get a slot. But I think the first year we did it was in 2016, um, we played the, uh, a festival called Viva Las Vegas Rockabilly Weekender, um, which goes on for about four days. And there's, you know, 300 bands and live music from, you know, 2 p.m. to, I don't know, four in the morning. So now was, where, where did the Rockasonics fit in time wise? When did you guys play? We played at about Friday night. Uh, I think it was about 5 p.m. Which, uh, which was a fairly good slot. I mean, people in, in, in at the festival, are, you know, um, they they n- number one, you didn't the car show was a big thing to uh, that we didn't want to be up against on Saturday, um, so we tried to. And, and Thursday it's kind of early because people haven't yet made it. Some people don't, don't come in till Friday, and some and you know we didn't want to do Sunday because some people leave on Sunday. So I think Friday, uh, you know, it was a it was a good slot for us. I think. Um, you know, people are, are out at the time and it's easy to grab, you know, a quick meal at, at the uh, hotel. So people are, you know, weren't sitting down and, and spending a lot of time. They were definitely seeing a lot of bands. So um, I think our slot was pretty, pretty darn good for what, you know, especially not being as well known. We had a, a fairly decent crowd both times we played. Now, playing out there, did that lead to anything else musically for you? Not necessarily for the Rockazonics, but for, for you. Um, well, it's certainly any, any gig like that is going to help, you know, you to, um, kind of gain more, um, I don't know if the word confidence is right, but, you know, to, to be more, uh, kind of adapt to that playing style. And, and, you, and another good thing about being there is you get to see all these other bands who've been doing it for a long time and, you know, they, they kind of have it down. Um, so for me, it was a good way to, watch other bands and kind of learn from them. And and like Barry Bryan says, you can learn uh, something from watching anybody, whether it's what not to do or what to do. So, you know, it was, it was very uh, uh, good for me to be out there and see all these other bands and what they were doing and kind of, you know, if I wasn't doing something that was, was correct, I could correct it, you know, through watching them and say, Oh, well, maybe I can change this a little bit and do what I'm, you know, so it certainly helped me. And then it's, it's led to other gigs for them too. So it's, it's, it was, I mean, we didn't, we didn't make any money by any means, but it was certainly uh, something I love to do. Now, when I watch you on stage now, and I have watched the videos from one or two of the, the Vegas shows, but I've also seen you perform in performances where it's a bunch of different artists with a background a band, you know, whether it's a, a girl singer or another guy singer, and you seem very comfortable just joining in, um, you know, whether you're calling the song or someone else does, 
Is that, it's kind of almost like what we call jamming. Is that easy for you to do? Yeah, I mean, it's fairly easy. Of course, the, the more obscure the song, um, the, the less chance I might have of, of getting it faster. Um, but, you know, certainly the good thing with this is it's not, it's not jazz by any means, and it's, it's, you know, three or four chords, so it's not hard to kind of anticipate. And it comes easy for me to anticipate, you know, maybe what the chord change might be coming up and, you know, uh, and, and, and what uh, that's helped me with also is kind of if, if you are leading that jam, it kind of helps you to alert the other players to what maybe what chord you're going to go to next or how you're going to play a solo over what kind of chord formation. Um, so it, it's with, with easy songs. It is. Yes, it is. It is easy to uh, kind of anticipate if I'm not the one leading it or, um, you know, kind of uh, get keep everybody in the, in the right place. Um, but it's certainly a lot of fun and, and I have fun doing it. The more you do it, the more it's, it's going to, uh, improve. So now have you had the opportunity to do duets? Yeah, I, I've had, uh, a, a good bit. Um, I'd certainly like to do more of course, but you know, um, I, I've met a couple people out and, uh, when I've been a part of the Everly brothers tribute a couple of times, um, that, uh, Louis brother, Ronnie, uh, of band house gigs puts on, um, that's always been fun doing duets with, uh, you know, male and female people. Um, so you can kind of get different elements of, of songs when you cover them. Um, now if you so, do an Everly brothers song and there's two of you singing to mimic the Everly brothers, who's, mm-hmm. whose part do you take? I normally take the, uh, the, the regular part, not the harmony. Um, cause at the time when I first did the Everly tribute, I was not well adversed in harmony singing. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it. So I would stick to the main part, which I think was Don's, uh, part. But, um, uh, you know, as time went on, I, I got better at that and I've learned to kind of hear both parts. So I have gotten better at harmonies, but I'm not still not the greatest at it when it comes to you know, new songs, um, so without practicing for a while, but I would, I would generally take, a, take the, the regular part when I do those. It, it, when it, when it's right, it sounds terrific, doesn't it? Oh yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's, uh, not only just in two part harmony, but when you get like a trio or, or, you know, a quartet right. and they're singing in harmony, it's just a wonderful sound. Right. For but, sure. Now you've mentioned Barry Bryan quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Is he kind of a mentor to you? Yeah, he, he's been, I would say, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've done a lot of gigs and, 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 and gone to the Martin factory a couple of times. So we've had time to, you know, he had time to teach me a couple of things about, you know, the guitar and, and, uh, how to, how to take care of them and, and about playing. And so, you know, him and him and Tommy have, have both been good mentors about that kind of stuff. Um, now you mentioned going to the Martin factory. Mm-hmm. And lately, when I've seen you play, you play a Martin guitar. Yep, that's primarily. Uh, now, yeah. how did you transition? You went from the Yamaha to what to what to end up at, with a Martin? I had a uh, Takamine guitar for a while, a small body um, Takamine for a while that I used to play. I think that came after the Yamaha. Uh, but uh, I got my start on Martin with our, our good friend John Durant. Um, who uh, had one? He was at um, an open mic at Beans in the Belfry, and I—I I don't know if I had broke a string or something, but 
um, I had played his guitar for, you know, a song or two and, and boy, he was right. After you play that guitar, you're not going to go back. So <laughs> I, uh, I played that and it was great. And I ordered, uh, I, I don't know if it was long after that, but I ordered my first Martin, um, after that. And, uh, and, and I've used that one. I still have that one played a lot. And then, um, I, I got rid of the Takamini at some point. Um, and I've had a couple other guitars here and there, but, uh, it's mostly been Martin and, uh, and then I got a deep, you know, one of the more, uh, upscale guitars recently back in 2015. So that's the one I primarily use. Now, is that a, a D18 or a D28 or what model is that's that? A, uh, that's a D28 that so I primarily use now. Yep. I had one of those built in 1968 or 1969, never should have sold it, but did. Uh, well, it's funny because I was, uh, when I had made that purchase, I was originally having a uh, D28 shipped from a, some some other uh, guitar center, um, but it was a 1987 model, and they were, you, you know, you pay for it, and they ship it to the store, Um and so they had shipped it there, and, and I went to go pick it up and, and play it a little bit. And um, I don't know what they did to it or you know, who had it before, but it it was just not, you know, what I was expecting. It, it didn't. It was something was off about it, um, as far as the uh, you know, it, it had probably been mistreated at some point, so it wasn't that, in that great condition. Um, so at that point, I just said, you know, just put in whatever what I've already spent on it. Just put that into a new, a new one. So I decided to get a, a new D twenty eight at the time. Um, now, have you have have you ordered one through the factory? I haven't. No, but and and I the next one I do order if if I you know go with that. I don't know what model it's going to be, but I do want to look at getting a custom one um, if I wear one through. Um, maybe with Willie Barry on the fretboard. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was, I like the, um, a lot of the country artists back then had their name on the fretboard. Um, you know, Ernest Tubb and, and George. And I really like that, that look, or even a, a, a pick guard that has the name on it. Um, you know, it would be cool, but I like the let, lettering on the fretboard myself. Now, what is it about Martin guitars that you like? Oh, well, there's, you know, vast majority of things that, you know, but, but right now it comes to mind is, is definitely the, the tone, the sound, um, you know, and, and it, they're very comfortable for me to play. Um, you know, like the Takamini, it was, it was okay, but it, it didn't have the greatest feel when you were, when you were playing it. Um, it, I don't know, something, I, and it's been a, a while, but, um, when you, when you play that Martin guitar, man, it just feels right at home and, it's easy to, to move around on. It's a lot, a lot of good positive things about it. Now, what uh, brand strings do you use? Um, I use Elixir-coated strings because my hands tend tend to sweat a lot when I play, or, or especially when I'm outside, um, so it'll wear any kind of regular strings down in maybe a gig or two. Um, so with the coated strings, I, it really helps to preserve the life of the strings and, and get more Yeah. Uh, work out of them now do you use um, the nano webs or the poly webs this part has always tripped me up because one has more coating than the other the poly web has the most coating right and i use the one with with the less coating yeah they sound uh, a little bit better yeah so i i use those uh primarily and uh they, they've always worked for me and and uh so that that's been good and, and and i have a i have some martin strings too that i got from a buddy of mine who works at the martin factory um, that they, that they are, I have on a couple of my other Martins that are good. 
and those are coated too. Now, how often do you change your guitar strings? Well, I'm not really uh, or haven't been lately the kind of guy to uh, change them if they haven't broke. Um, so I'll uh, normally end up, you know, breaking. And it doesn't happen often, thankfully. Or It's kind of hard to tell, but case by case basis. But um, more often than not, if it's going to if I'm going to change, it's going to be because I broke a string at, at the at the gig. Um, and then just end up replacing the, the, the rest of them or, or all of them, um, when I get home that, that day. Um, so, but I, if, if I make it through maybe 10 or 11 gigs successfully, I'll look at the strings and, and you can kind of tell if, if they're rusted in certain places. And, um, and, and if I get through, you know, if I'm lucky enough to get through 10 or 11 gigs then I, I'll probably go ahead and change them. Now, do you still play the harmonica while you play? I don't, uh, not as nearly as much. And I haven't, I actually was looking through some old stuff the other day and I, I rediscovered where I, I had uh, put those away, but, uh, no, I don't, I don't play them much nowadays. Um, it's a lot more, uh, since I'm not playing Bob Dylan nearly as much or, or at all, I'm uh, still here and there, but, um, and, and the songs that I do don't really have harmonica parts in them. Sure. Um, so, so what does the future hold for Willie Berry? Well, I think that's a, a, a good question, especially with the uh, events of today that are, are going on affecting musicians everywhere um, with this uh, coronavirus. So it's kind of hard to see where things lie. Um, but uh, as far as playing, I'm going to keep doing it. And, um, and I'll probably do a, a live stream here and there and, and kind of uh, do that while I'm cooped up in the house. And, um so, you know, it's, it's hard to tell right now, but hopefully uh, when this whole thing ends, you know, we'll get back out there and get better and larger gigs. Now, do you want, or is your hope to stay in the country slash rockabilly genre, or do you see yourself maybe branching out? I, I like, well, I'm doing primarily rockabilly in the bands now, but I'm, I'm kind of getting that itch to uh, change gears to more country oriented uh material and primarily things of the 60s like ray price shuffles are a big favorite of mine right now any song with a shuffle beat um that has a, a walking bass line is kind of, it's, if it has a walking bass line chances are i'm gonna like it um but right now i kind of want i'm almost in that mindset of i want to switch over to country of the 50s and 60s um because I haven't got a, ch a chance to do a lot of that recently, so I'd like to try my hand at that, and, and I've always loved that kind of stuff. So um, that that might be if, – if I do switch – I mean, I'll probably still keep Rockabilly you know, doing that, but if I do start up another project or something, it's going to be more country-oriented. Now, do you see yourself touring at any point? Um, I would, I would love to. It, it's just got to uh, – you know, circumstances have to be right. A lot of the um, – uh, or, you know, some, some of the bandmates are, you know, are at full-time jobs and some have family. So it's kind of hard, you know, uh, to, for us to, I mean, we get away every once in a while for a weekend for a couple of gigs, uh, out, out in maybe Pennsylvania or New York or somewhere like that. Um, but as far as like a week or two long tour, there's been some talks about it. Um, but especially with what's going on right now, kind of putting everything to a standstill, um, you know, well, it, it we, definitely is at a standstill. That's that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm watching neighbors I, walk by my my front window because my studio is actually my living room, and there's 
two with the baby carriage going left to right and two older going right to left, chatting yeah. across the street from each other. Yeah. So who knows? But I, I think, a, a, you know, if, if everything uh, lines up and, and it works out, I think a tour could definitely be in, uh, in store. So now fingers, fingers crossed. Now, when you did that CD way back when you were 15 ish or 16 ish, uh-huh. there were two or three songs on there that were, you penned yourself. Do you see yourself writing in the future? I, uh, especially with the downtime, yes, I'm going to try and do a lot more writing. Um, the Rock of Sonics have about five original tunes that I've written so far, um, but nothing recent. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to try and get some writing in while we have this uh, downtime um, to kind of help. So I think that'll that'll be a good chance to, to uh, expand our you know, musical. Now, how do, what inspires you? How do you find your topics to write about? It kind of depends. Um, most songs are about, you know, going out and having a, having a good good time because um, that's the easiest kind of thing that I've found so far to write about. Um, you know, and there's a topic that everybody writes about is, is you know, the opposite sex. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's always an easy topic to cover, whether it's, you know, heartache or, or uh, you know, over you kind of subject. Um, you know, that, that's something that people don't seem to have a problem writing about, but I'll try and, you know, if I hear a topic that, or a cool subject idea, I'll, I'll jot it down and then see if I can come up with lyrics kind of around that idea. Um, you know, at, at, a, at a time where I feel like you know, maybe it, uh, the juices are flowing nicely and, and, and cause writing for me is, is a bit, uh, it, it's, I don't know. I mean, some people might do it this way, but you know, I tend to write the song, all the lyrics at one time, and then I don't. I generally don't go back and, and try and rework them, um, unless it's been a long time. And I think, oh well, maybe I can rewrite this part. But I generally, you know, write them the lyrics real, try and get them done in one setting, um, and then you know I'll have different musical feels that I want to put the lyrics to. So it's 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 different, but it, it certainly comes and goes. It's not nothing constant. Um, well, the constant part of Willie Berry is the music, mm-hmm. and it's been so much fun. Many of us, you know, Tommy, myself, John Durant, Barry Bryan, and everyone connected with the, the Frederick, Maryland kind of acoustic music scene, you know, we look at you as our, our, as our kid, you know, oh. because you were, you were so good at such a young age, and we've, we've watched you grow into your musicality. And it's been a whole lot of fun. And it's been a lot of fun chatting with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. And I hopefully this whole COVID-19 or coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, works itself through and we can get back to normal life sooner rather than later. And we can get back to live music. But one of the reasons I put the podcast series together, one, because I, I wanted to know more about people. I love backstories. But two, it's, it's turned out to be a way for musicians to kind of get... Um, on air, so to speak. And I am so thankful that you've been in my top 10. Well, glad, glad to be able to do it. And, and yes, I hope this whole thing works itself out soon as well. Well, Willie, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. And this will be live within probably six hours. You'll be able to hear it, hear yourself on online. How about that? Okay. Sounds good to me. All right, Willie. Well, thanks so much. All right, Todd, take care. All righty. Bye-bye. 
And that was Willie Berry of Willie Berry and the Chaperones and Willie Berry and the Rockasonics. Um, although I don't think it's Willie Berry and the Rockasonics. I think it's just Rockasonics. But a really cool guy. And I'm so pleased that he joined us today. And we're going to leave the show with another of his songs. This one is from that CD from way back when, at age 16 or 15. This is called Old Worried Blues. Well, just rambling around old Frederick Got them old worried blues Got no money in my pockets Got no money in my shoes I'm just rambling around old Frederick With them old worried blues Hey man, I sure got the blues The guitar shop's out of business Got them old worried blues I need a new guitar To go with these brand new shoes I'm just rambling around old Frederick With them old worried blues Hey man, I sure got the blues The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by the permission of the artist. If you enjoy the series and you'd like to share it with friends, family, or associates, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, so it's wispymopmusic.podbean.com. Or you can find it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Now the rambling down the alleyway Got them old worried blues I don't have my guitar To go with these brand new shoes Now just rambling around old Frederick With them old worried blues Hey man, I sure got the blues Well, just rambling around old Frederick with them old worried blues. Got no money in my pockets, got no money in my shoes. I'm just rambling around old Frederick with them old worried blues. Hey man, I sure got the blues. <laughs>